They marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle. Believe for a miracle. Receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. Well, good morning. Good to see each one of you today. God bless you, and may the favor of the Lord be on everything you do. I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to encourage you to follow me on Instagram. And the reason I'm saying it now, and it's kind of like impromptu, is because while I was while worship was going on, um, I just wrote a prophetic blessing over this message, and I'm going to ask you to uh, say it and respond up front together. And we didn't have time to get it up on the screens, but if you have Instagram, uh, you can follow me, and then you'll have it all the time. Does that sound good? It's not like a shameless way to get followers, by the way. I just want you to know that. I, 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 if, if, if I was guilty of that, I would have done it months ago. But I'm just saying the purpose of it is just God put it on my heart. How many of you would like to change the future? I don't mean, I don't mean that in one of those like, yeah, right, kind of statements. I mean, literally, I'm going to show you today how you literally can change the future of your family and future generations, and I really mean it with all sincerity. How many of you would really like to do that in a positive way? Would you just raise your hand? How many of you are skeptics and think, yeah, right, I've heard that before, um, right? Okay, I, and, I, and I get where you're coming from, but as I realize the gravity of the message today and the subject matter, I realize it really has that capacity. I want to start with a couple of scriptures that aren't on the screen, but they're very simple, very easy. I'll give you the references, and you can kind of let them sink in, write them down if you want. The first one's in Proverbs 12, 7, and it says, The house of the righteous shall stand. Whenever I read scripture, I like to flip it in the converse to say, what does it say if I flip it around? And, and it, really, if you think about it, is that the house of the unfaithful or the unrighteous will fail. And it's a good way to, to really let Scripture sink into your heart when you just flip it and say, what happens if I don't do that? Well, then the unrighteous house will fail. The second one is in Proverbs 24.3, and it says, through wisdom, a house is built. So no one builds a house without wisdom. If you flip that one, without wisdom, the house fails. It never gets built. So I was really intrigued by a work that was done by Albert uh, Winship. He published this in 1924. He was a pretty famous educator in his day. And he began to study why are families different? Why does one family seem to uh, be able to have just generations of blessing and other families seem to not? And he took very, two very extreme cases in order to, to try to understand that, that very concept. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of the bullet point uh, overflow of the book that he wrote in 1924, a study of two American uh, families. Max Jukes is the first one. Max Jukes was an atheist, first of all. His wife was a godless woman, and 
he was able to trace 560 descendants of Max Jukes. And as he studied them, here's what he found out, that 310 of them died as complete paupers. They had no money. They had nothing to leave to a family. They were penniless and without hope. 150 of them were criminals. 100 of them were alcoholics. Seven of them were murderers. And more than half of the women in that group were prostitutes. Descendants of Max Jukes cost the United States government more than $1.25 million in the 19th century, which is about $31 million today. Now, it's a really sad thing, and if you look at, at his life, if we try to illustrate that, we might say that his life started somewhere. We don't know what exactly happened, but it was a continual spiral downward all the way through this study. And it's a sad life, and, and of course, that we look at his life, and we even though there was tragedy, and he created a lot of tragedy in his family, we still feel sorry for Max Jukes because it's unfortunate that he found such a path in his life. I assume that most people won't find that extreme of a path. The other one is a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and if we look at his life, we take a very different diagram. We take a diagram more like this because his life was very different. Let me give you the highlights of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a Christian, his wife was a Christian, and they were able to trace 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Out of his family heritage came 294 college graduates, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 75 officers in the military, one dean of a law school, 100 well-known missionaries, 80 held public office, 100 lawyers, three U.S. senators, three state governors, three mayors of large cities, one vice president of the United States. Not one of the descendants of Edwards' family was a liability to the government of the United States. Two very different families, right? And you might look at those and you go, I don't know that I really fit into either one of those. But it's important that you lean in the direction of Jonathan Edwards. And you realize that in, in the life of Jonathan Edwards, it didn't just happen. You know, a lot of times what we do is we look at people and we think they're lucky. Well, I've always found the harder I work, the luckier I get. How about you? The more disciplined I am, the more I can accomplish. The more focused I am, the better I am. And what we do is we've become a generation that makes excuses for what we don't accomplish in life. What we need to be is a, is a generation that says God is in partnership with us in such a powerful way that creating the image of God, we can literally change the future of our family and future families to come. And that's the goal that we want to have for you today. We want to challenge you from the Word of God in such a powerful way that you're going to look maybe differently at future generations, and you're going to see down the road generations that are blessed, either your children, your grandchildren, your aunts, your uncles, your fathers, your mothers, whatever it is down there, you're going to have an impact on their life. Here's a, here's a truth. We, we say this in Scripture. It's found in Proverbs. It says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. What I want to do is I want to take that to a broader level, and I want to say this. Life and death are in generations. It doesn't just stop with what you say on a daily basis, life, death, but literally life and death are in generations. When the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 got up to preach, 
He had just revealed to them that this Jesus whom they had crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. They were so pierced in the heart at that powerful message that came from the apostle Peter. They were asking, what shall we do? And Peter's response in part was this in chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now step back for a moment and get the idea of generations that we have been, that's been framed in culture for us out of your mind. Because we think about generations like baby boomers or millennials. But I want you to think differently because that's not the context in which he speaks. You see, the generation he talks about is, is not sensitive to age. The time you were born or the time you died. It was a mindset that, that looked to perversion rather than to righteousness. And what we have to understand is that we live in the midst of a generation that in one hand is seeking after righteousness, on the other hand, they're seeking after perversion. And perversion doesn't necessarily have to be the perverted. Perversion is when you place someone in front of the Almighty God as being your object of devotion. And whether that is your job, your family, your money, or anything else, they become the idols of your life, and they become the thing that pervert truth and move you in a generation away from God Almighty. Remember, the very, the very starting point for all of us is to be a Christian. But you can be a Christian and not fully love God. You can be a Christian and not keep his commandments. What God is looking for are people who literally are going to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus never played hobby with Christianity. He was looking for fully devoted people who would give their life to move forward the kingdom of Almighty God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, let's think about generation for a moment because Max Jukes clearly There were generations here that went on that literally self-destructed all along the path. Exodus chapter 20 in verse 5 and 6 says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now we normally don't think about jealousy as being a good quality. But jealousy means that from God's perspective that I am so jealous for your love and your devotion and your relationship that when you have other lovers, I am jealous. When you don't fully love me, I am jealous. I want your devotion. I want your time. I want all of those things for you, and it's only with the purest of motives. So he said, I am a jealous God. Just so you know, let's get it out front, God is a jealous God. But here's what he says. I visit inequity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So if we look at this and we say, here's a generation, here's a generation, here's a generation, and here's a generation. He said, what happens here has a big effect on every one of these generations. So you as a father, you as a father have a huge responsibility for good or for evil. You as a mother have a huge responsibility for good or for evil. Much of what happens in future generations can be traced back to you. That's not to put all the blame on you. It's to put responsibility to say, how do I help set the course? 
Now, ultimately, your children and your children's children have to make their own decisions. But you have to be the rudder of the ship. You have to be the one who says, this is the course we're going to take, and we're going to go in that direction, and we're going to pray and hope that we have a generation after generation that, that raises up righteousness so that there's a blessing that comes for those children that I will never meet in my lifetime because they will be born way after I'm gone. That has to be our hope. That has to be our legacy in life. So he says, I visit the, the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands. He's not talking about thousands of people. He's talking about thousands of generations. He's talking about an exponential growth of blessing and favor that comes when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we realize that all the things that are added on to that, I believe the things that are added on to Jonathan Edwards' life, like the heritage he had, were some of the extra things that God said. You didn't anticipate it. You thought we were talking about food and water and clothing. No, I have other things in store for you that are far more valuable than basic human needs. So he says to show mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and notice he adds this, and keep my commandments. It's never enough to say I love God. If you say you love God, then it will result in you keeping the commandments of God. So you can't say I'm a lover of God. You can say I'm a Christian, but I don't love God. Because love God means I am devoted to God and I keep his commandments. And I think it's important that we draw the distinction because everybody wants to claim Christian who go to church. Great. That's 101. Let, when are we going to go to 201? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as unto yourself. When do we get to 201? And that's just 201. We've got to go to 301 and 401, amen? All right, so here's what we find as we study, that patterns multiply over time. If you have a pattern in your life, have you ever noticed that you sometimes confess or do the same sin over and over again, and you're going back and you're going, hey, God, here I am again. Anybody had that? I think we've all had that. Am I right? Yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand on this one. It's like, how many of you love Jesus? Everybody goes like that. How many of you have continual patterns of sin in your life? Not me. But you're looking around, will anyone come clean, right? Um, but, but we have those patterns in our life, and that's, that's part of our human predicament, okay? But what we want to do is break those patterns and create new patterns, now, if we were doing a study on the brain today, we would, we would be talking about, uh, you know, the malleability of the brain and how your brain is, literally, you can change those neural pathways in your brain by the way you think. You see, the reason that we, we create a negative or a bad uh, neural pathway is because of repetition doing the same thing that's not beneficial to our life. And that pathway gets built into our mind in such a way that we think it's normal and all we can do is just make an excuse for it, blame someone else, or ask God to forgive us again. What God wants to do is he wants to change the course of our mind. He wants to get us thinking differently about how we operate and how we can affect future generations and how they will operate in their life because those patterns will multiply. Another thing that we know is that sin gains power and dominion over our life over time. So if we look at Mac Juke's life, if we studied it, we would see that there's momentum that builds up that keeps building up. So you don't just start with 150 prostitutes in your family line 
One begins to birth the idea in two or three generations of girls, in five or six generations of girls, and you see a multiplied effort happening there because sin is never courteous. Sin does not care about you. Remember, the ultimate aim of the enemy is to destroy you. But our, our mission is to destroy the works of the evil one. Well, part of the works of the evil one is what he does in our mind. That's why we have to set a new course in our mind. The other truth that we want to put our arms around is this one, that we need to receive the word of God in order to enrich our life. You see, how do we enrich our life? I can enrich my life by reading great literature, and I do that. I, I benefit from that. But if I really want to enrich my life in, in heart and in spirit, I'm going to read the Word of God. Because the Word of God is going to not only fill my mind with wonderful thoughts about God, but it's going to shape my very heart. It's going to shape my soul and my spirit in such a way that I, wow, I, I really love God and I know God better, and now I know how to treat people and how to deal with problems in a better way because God gave me his wisdom. The psalmist said, you have made me smarter than all of my teachers, for thy word has instructed me. Psalm 119. Now, so look, let's go continue the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. You know, it's interesting. When I read that the first time, I didn't see it. But then I thought, I wonder if there were some that received the word but weren't gladly receiving the word. You see, some of us receive the word and go, yeah, it's the word of God. I'm a Christian. I guess I've got to do that. Others say, I can't wait. I am so hungry for the word of God. I'm gladly receiving it. And that attitudinal shift makes all the difference in your life. So they gladly received the word of God. They were baptized, it says. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And notice what it says. And they continued steadfastly. Steadfastly. In other words, it wasn't just a hobby. It wasn't something I tried on Sunday. No, I am steadfastly following after the apostles' doctrine, which means teaching. Fellowship means community with believers in the breaking of bread and of prayer. So what they did was they said, we are so committed to this word of God, to this lifestyle of Christianity, that what we're going to do is we're going to gather together in small groups. I don't know if they called them link groups in the first century, Bethany. I'm sorry. But, but they had community groups. And when they got together, they studied the apostles' doctrine, teaching, prayer. And guess what they did? They had communion. See, communion isn't something reserved just when we get together on Sunday once a month or once a quarter. It's something we can do on a daily basis. It's a reminder of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the need for personal purity in our life. So they were gathering, and they said, let's just, we are so excited about God, let's break bread and, and uh, just do the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion together right here in this place. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to encourage one another. But you see, it all came out of the Word of God being received richly, received richly into our life. The way you receive the Word of God determines the outcome of your faith. A lot of people have learned the Word of God out of just sheer repetition, just memory, Right? And those words can come back to you, and it's very important to just memorize the Word of God. But the attitude that you take with it, wait a minute, this is not just the Bible. This is God's breath in words that are little, little boxcars of truth and life. And, and, and I, if I take those and embrace those, those are transformational in my life. They're transformational in other people's life. I love this illustration. I use it way too much, and I'm going to use it again today. 
But imagine somebody comes up to you and they say, are you a Christian? You say, yes. And then they ask you, have you read the Word of God today? And you go, no. And they say to you, oh, I thought you were a Christian. If you're a Christian, you should be reading the Word of God. How do you feel? You don't feel good. You feel like a failure, right? Because now you feel condemned because you didn't do this Christian activity that you know you should do. Next guy comes along, goes, hey, I don't know if you've ever read in the Ezekiel. I was reading Ezekiel. This guy was on some serious mushrooms. Seriously. I mean, I don't even know what's going on. There's like creatures with a bunch of eyes. There's wheels spinning inside of wheels, and, and it's just nuts in there. Hey, have a great day, and they walk off. What do you do? I read Ezekiel. It made it so attractive to me that I wanted to get into it. Condemnation is never a Christian activity. The Bible says in Romans, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If God's not condemning us, why are we condemning one another? I don't know, just a thought. The, the job of the Holy Spirit's already been taken. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. You can't do that either, right? Well, I just don't know about so-and-so. They went to the movie the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were watching on Netflix. That's why you're, you're hiding. You don't know what's going on, right? Seriously, live your life in such a way that you're just an outflow of the Word of God and the Spirit of God and bring life to everyone. So the way you receive the Word of God is going to have a big determination on the outcome of the kind of faith you possess and you live with. Steadfastness is a word that means a place firmly fixed of faith that's essential in the kingdom. So when I have this kind of faith, it's this steadfastness, it's firmly fixed. I don't have to try to figure out how I'm going to get direction in my life. I've got a North Star, so to speak. I've got a point of reference that I say, no, I am steadily, I'm steadfastly anchored in this place where I know where I'm going to go. That doesn't mean I'm always going to get it right. It doesn't mean I got all the answers. It means that this is my immovable place. I will trust God regardless what happens. I will seek the kingdom of God first, regardless what happens. When that is my position, that is life-giving. The Bible says in the latter days there will be those who accumulate for themselves teachers after their own lightning who will tickle their ears. There are a lot of people who just, I just, I don't want all that. Just tell me, tell me three, three steps for a better marriage this week and I'm happy. Well, the problem is we can't, continue to consume those kind of messages and grow into the glory of God that God wants us to have. We have to have the whole counsel of God, amen? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 3. Since you have purified your souls, did you know your soul can get pure? Soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. You can purify your soul. You can purify your soul by obeying the truth through the Spirit. How do I get my soul pure? By I take the truth, the word of God, and I allow the spirit of God to purify my soul. And what happens? In sincere love, look at this, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. Okay, so what happens is when I begin to get a pure soul, I start to love people that are unlovable. And guess what? At any given moment, in any given day, in every one of you in this room can become unlovable. Am I wrong? Do not look at your neighbor. Do not elbow anyone. See, he's talking about you again. No, you see, the idea is that we have to, the love of God allows us the ability to even in an unlovable situation to love in spite of what we're seeing visibly and experiencing in that moment because that's a divine thing. 
Psychologists say that you can't command love, but God says you can. In Deuteronomy 30, it says that God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And Jesus said, and the second's like unto it, and love your neighbors yourself. God says, when I do a heart, when I do heart surgery on you, you have the capacity to love even when you don't want to love. You ever just been around somebody and go, I just do not want to be around this person, but God, I love them. And you really mean it. It's not like, you know, the addendum. Nobody reads the addendum until you go to court. You go to court because you have a problem you can't solve. The addendums are the things that say, I will love you regardless. I will love now. I might duck next time I see you coming, but I'm going to love you. Amen? Amen. Okay, so look what it says. Um, You've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the word of God is fixed in the heavens. It lives, abides forever. The, the, the grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of God abides how long? Forever. You know what that means? That means the word of God is still going to be applicable when you're in heaven 10 million years. Because it's the breath, the character, the nature of God revealed to us here on earth and applicable in heaven and throughout all eternity. That's kind of cool. I can study now what I'm going to be reading all the time and living out in my life. That's really good. I'm going to see it with new insights. You see, the nice thing about the Word of God, you never plumb the depth of the mystery of the Word of God. You say, I've read the Word of God through 20 times. Keep going. Read, read every word through 20 times a week and see how you're doing. Just read the word hope. Take the word hope in the Bible. Read it. Read every passage on hope and read it for the next six months and see if you don't develop a, a, a hopeful attitude in your life. Jesus is called the blessed hope. He lives in me. We're looking for the blessed hope. I mean, think about that. This is, this is a great book. Well, enough of that. We've got to get on here. Godly fear, godly fear in your life. Now, fear, we think about cowling in the corner, but in the Bible, fear is this respect for God for who God is. Godly fear births a community of miracles. Amazing passage here. It says, then fear came upon every soul. And I think, then, so you go back and you go, okay, what, what caused that? And it says in the verses before, then those who gladly received the word of God. What did it do? Then godly fear came upon every soul. And then what happened? Then wonders and signs happened. Why? Because they received the word of God gladly. All of a sudden it transformed their soul. They began to live out this life. Fear came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And they all believed together. And they had all things in common. You say, wow, wouldn't that be great if we could do that? We do that. We do it all the time. We have people that donate property and donate cars. They donate cash. And we redistribute them as we see we have need and as people respond. And, and you say, can we help every single person? No, but we're not supposed to help every single person. We're supposed to respond as the Spirit of God gives us liberty and has resources to do that. And that's what we do. And when, when we begin to see that unflow in our, uh, outflow in our life, we're, all of a sudden we're blessing, go like, I can't believe you blessed me with this. This is amazing. This is incredible. And then when you become a blessing, we helped a family out here a couple of weeks ago, and they had some, some real needs, and, I, and I, I said, would you mind if I wrote you a check? Which you know, I always think is a stupid question, right? No, you can write me a check any day, right? But no, would you mind if I wrote you a check? And, and this person said, well, only if I can pay it back. And I said, we're not a credit union. We don't, ex we don't do loans. We don't do church loans. 
will do a gift. But if you ever think you have to pay it back, then you will live under the bondage of, trying, of it being a debtor to the church. I don't want you to be a debtor to the church. Now, if you get blessed and you want to contribute and help somebody else in the future, that's up to you. But this is given and released. It's gone. Amen? And that's how we give. When we give that way, we give it with a, with a heart that says, I don't have to hold on to anything. I don't have to get an expectation here. Well, I gave a bunch of money, and I really thought the music would go shorter or longer. Yeah, that isn't going to work. They're just going to go until they're done. Amen? All right? We're going to go until we, we finish it up. And, uh, and, and, and what we want to do is live our life with that kind of love. So now watch what happens here. Fear came upon them. They had all things together, it says, in common. They sold their possession and goods, divided among all as anyone had a need, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. There it is. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, I'm just glad I got this today. My wife says I'm not a good eater. She'll say to me, what do you want for dinner? And I say, I don't know what I want. Any guys relate to this? I just know I'm hungry. So she say, well, do you want pizza? No, I had pizza last night. And she says, I give this look. You know, like, no, I didn't. How dare you suggest pizza again? Oh, well, how about pasta? Make some nice pasta, salad, vegetables. No. She went through like nine things. She said, you're on your own. I'm not helping you no more. You need to go hungry, order out. I don't care what you do, but you're on your own, right? So maybe I kind of messed up on the gladness and simplicity of heart. But I ended up making a nice quesadilla. Hey, I make one of the great quesadillas. It's got two ingredients. It's got a little tortilla, a little cheese. It's done. Amen? How many of you love a tortilla? How many of you love one right now? Okay, let's go on. Okay, gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. I like that. I can have favor with people by simply loving the Word of God. It's amazing to me that That when you have favor with God, even your, the Bible says even, God will even make your enemies to be friendly toward you. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. When I read this, I just the word came to me, prevailing, prevailing community, the prevailing community of God that fears God. If we're going to prevail through the difficulties and the challenges, we have to have this fear and this love of God that's just supernatural. You see an obstacle, just keep moving. You're like a river. You know, God, you know, too many people are like lakes. They get the Holy Spirit as a lake. You let the lake stand long enough without new, new, with an outflow, without going out, that gets stagnant. A lot of Christians get stagnant because they're lakes. You're not a lake. You're meant to be a river, just flowing always, river, just flowing, flowing. And rivers, you ever notice how rivers always just are able to take the obstacles and the sewage and everything and get it out of the way. They just send it, keep sending it, sending it, sending it out of the ocean where it disappears. And that's what we have to do. Just the ocean of God's love will take all the impurities of life and they'll just suck them dry. And I just love that. Prevailing community, the power of God is relevant in every age. Hey, the music isn't made for every age. We have to change. Things are different. Styles are different. Buildings are different. But the power of God never changes. Somebody encounters God, that stays pretty consistent. Amen? You go, that's good. I like that. That's the power of God. Paul said, I did not come to you with eloquent words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and of spirit. You see, that's relevant. Every age. 
What do I do with that? God changed my life. What do I do with that? God healed somebody. That, what do I do with that? That's relevant. Sometimes people will say to me, the Bible's boring. I said, no, you're boring. The Bible's exciting. You couldn't write some of that stuff. Sometimes I remember when I first read it, I got in the book of Judges. I go, you've got to be kidding me. This is amazing. Now you're all going to go read Judges and Ezekiel. I can see it already. To see the church is the hope of the world. It's not better government. That's not the hope of the world. That's going to all be gone. Church is the hope of the world. We want to be those just, just releasers of hope all the time. I was thinking about this. I thought, what would happen if, if all of us here would just really put our arms around the idea of future generations, of shifting them in a such a way, kind of like Jonathan Edwards did? I don't know if that thought ever came to him. I don't know if he could ever even imagine what future generations would look like. But look what happened. What would happen right now if you just start, and I want to just invite you to do this right where you sit. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. I want you just to imagine everybody that, you, that comes to your mind in your family, meaning distant and, and close. I want you to see right now in your mind's eye, father, mother, if they're alive, aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren. Just let them just start going through your mind. What would happen if you would just shift them 1% to the better? What would happen if you would shift them 5% or 10%? What would the outcome look like? You begin to see kids praising God. You begin to see parents loving Jesus. You begin to see brothers and sisters. They're, they're on a different path, a better path. And you're loving them through them. You're not condemning anybody. That's not your goal. That's not your job. You just love them. Just, I'm just keep loving you. And, and God knows how to, how to get us working in the right direction if we just follow after him. And I'm going to have you stand with me, and I, and I want you to think about this. I want you to, to just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you to begin to see children that are not yet born. Children that are not yet born that are coming out of your family. Whether you're a family of one or more, they're coming out of your relatives. I want you just to kind of get have fun with it. Just kind of get a little picture in your mind. Some of them are tall. Some of them are short. Some are amazingly beautiful. Some are not. Some are athletic and some are not. But they're, and they're all smiling. You know why they're all smiling? Because they're on a pathway of righteousness. They're, they're on a pathway of changing the, the world. And when you speak to them now, those, those new little faces that are coming to your mind, you're speaking to them and you're giving them hope. You're giving them hope. You see, sometimes all you need to do is give someone permission to succeed. What I mean by that is someone says, I don't know if I can do this, and you look into their face and you say, you can do that. And they'll look at you and go, really? You think so? And I know so. I know you can do that. I see it in you. And it wasn't that they had to have that, but somehow they needed that. People have done that to me. It's life-changing. You never forget it. You look into somebody's face and you say, you know, you are going to make a huge difference in this world. They never forget that. They never forget it. They live their whole life. I wonder what it is. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. Now I want you to see. You say, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see. 
I don't see those faces yet. Okay, well, let, let me give you another layer. What would happen if you'd begin to adopt children into your family and you'd, you'd raise them up in the righteousness of God? And they became world changers. They changed the world. You've heard Tammy's story about her mother. My grandmother was adopted as an orphan from England who was put on a train in New York. They sent kids all the way across America. It's called the Orphan Train. My grandmother got adopted by a family in Missouri that happened to be Christians. Isn't that amazing? What would have happened to me had that not happened? What if it had been Max Jukes that adopted me? Think about what the impact you can have on someone's life. This is a prophetic blessing I wrote. If you have, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll find this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to have a prophetic blessing over you. If you have your phone and you want to pull up Instagram, just do it now, and you can. It's my my latest post. Here's how it goes. In the name of Jesus. Now, by the way, if I have some typos in here, I don't get it right. I was doing it during worship, so give me grace. All right. In the name of Jesus, I declare blessing, the blessing of a thousand generations over me and my family. The curse is broken and the favor is coming like a flood. My life will be marked by good decisions and obedience to the word of God. I will destroy the works of the enemy that future generations may prosper and usher in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Um, we're going to say that together. We're going to invite you to come here to the front. And we're going to, we're just going to be in community. I feel like in proximity like this, something powerful happens. So we're, we won't delay a long time. If you just want to come here to the front and gather around this, we're going to do a prophetic blessing over you right now. We really believe there's a power of impartation that comes when we, when we seek after God, when we hunger after God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. When we're not satisfied to just be a Christian, we're, we say we want to be a true follower of Christ. We want to love him with all of our heart mind, soul. We want to pursue him with passion. Just squeeze in here tight, guys. Get close enough to where if they've got the flu, you get it, okay? Here's the first step. I, I really believe in receiving from the Lord. It is to say, God, I want my heart to be tender. Would you just say that? I want my heart to be tender. I want my mind to be open to receive this blessing of the Lord. You know, this is kind of cool. I, I think about everybody's out of their seat. Apologize. I, we need more room up front. But here's how. Here's here's what we're going to do. I'm going to repeat. I'm going to say this. You can say it after me. In the name of Jesus, I declare the blessing of a thousand generations over me and my family. The curse is broken. The favor is coming like a flood. My life will be marked by good decisions and obedience to the Word of God. I will destroy the works of the enemy that future generations may prosper and usher in the kingdom. Do you receive it? Just say, I receive it in Jesus' name. I stand firm on God's word, God's power, and God's spirit in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, right where you're standing or sitting, I want us, we're going to sing together. By the way, thank you, media team, for putting that up on the screen. That's awesome. We have such great people. But let's sing together, and let's sing this as a voice of victory. Amen? A voice of recognition of what God is doing and what God has done. Let's sing it together. you for this day. We thank you for every person. We thank you for the future generations. I see great leaders. I see great people coming forth. I see great moms and dads, great workers. I see great uh, bosses and leaders. I see people in prestigious places of influence, and they're going to influence future generations for the kingdom. I thank you, God, that righteousness is, is essential for the crafting of a nation, and that God uh, just bless us in all we do. In your name, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bring someone with you.